Welcome to Mystery Outsiders and Abs. I'm Kevin Weir. Oh, oh no. Aaron isn't here. Hey, Dan from Academy vs. Audience. Uh, hey, how you doing? Hey, doing good. What's up? Uh, yeah, do you want to do a, a podcast? Do you know I love talking to mics about opinions? Absolutely, yeah. It, it is about Riverdale. Wow. There, that's a name I've not heard in quite some time. No, I hear it <laughs> constantly you? because I'm terminally online, but I haven't watched it in a minute. Oh, perfect. Oh, perfect. You're the perfect one to be here. Yes, uh, Aaron is unfortunately uh, out of town, out of the country, out of the world for a while. So, fortunately, Dan has, uh, Dan Gibbons has graciously stepped in to talk about this episode with me. Uh, Dan, you kind of alluded to already, what is your relationship with Riverdale? Uh, well, Kevin, as those who... So those who follow my blog, TalesFromPartsUnknown.com, may have picked up Perfect. over the past few years. I watch comic book television like it's my job. So at first I thought I could make an exception for this weird CW show about sexy Archie and friends in the modern <laughs> day. And then the preview started showing up and I started saying, I have to watch this weird CW show about sexy Archie and his weird brooding friends. And uh, then I get into second season and I'm watching all these actors forced to say jingle jangle with dramatic menace <laughs> and they're yeah. crushing it and I'm even more fascinated and then I hit a stumbling block uh, at this end of second season oh I could end of second season if there is a trope that I have difficulty with it is wrongful imprisonment as a long-term oh. plot arc, like I have never, yeah. I've never engaged with a piece of media and thought, "Oh, the main character is going to prison for bad reasons." This will create a whole new interesting storylines. Like not even Orange is the New Black, where the lead character going to prison literally caused every storyline. I'm still saying mm. she's in here for how long exactly? So yeah, uh, um, yeah, that was that storyline was always was super weird. Especially Archie, like was like, no, I kind of deserve to do this. Like, well, not for murder, man. <laughs> what? And it was compounded by the fact that this was just apparently the thing to do on CW in that particular year because the Flash yeah. had just gotten out of prison after being framed for murder, and now Oliver Queen was going to prison for okay, fair crimes he committed, <laughs> crimes he actually committed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, not crimes you were supposed to think he was wrong for having committed. So I was in a point that good fall, crimes. He committed good crimes. I can watch Archie Andrews go to prison for a crime he didn't commit, or I can watch Oliver Queen do a Shawshank Redemption. But I'm not sure I can do both. Oh, do you know the name of the prison he went to? By the way, in Riverdale, what the name of the prison was? I don't. Shankshaw. Wow. Yeah, that's. It's very Riverdale. That's extremely so you might have, Riverdale. You might have gotten some of the idea from this episode, but yeah, Riverdale really does like just doing tropes. It just kind of hits them. The thing is, every watching every episode of Riverdale feels like looking and being like, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. And this episode, oh boy, it has a lot of I've seen this before. They, they do a pastiche. Yeah, Not unlike yeah. the dear, never quite a hundred percent departed Psych. Oh yeah, I feel like Psych had 
a bit more fun with it. I don't know. This episode wasn't the worst thing I've seen in Reveal of Time. It's it's campy, but it's a campy on purpose. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it was a weird one. We've had a, a, a spread of like three really good episodes, like solid, actually good episodes. This one's kind of a disappointment. It's another one of those for our listeners. About once a season, they do a musical and about once a season, they do a anthology episode. This is the anthology episode. Anthology episode. So let's talk. Anthology episodes are good for long-running series like Riverdale because they give everybody a chance to have a break and do something different. But they do them. But they did it so quickly. I think they did it in the first season. No, maybe the first season didn't have an anthology episode. They definitely had At one in one... second season, but it was an incontinuity anthology episode. Because I yeah, they, they. I think the second season might have had the one where uh, it's like Halloween night and Veronica burns a man to death. Uh, I know another anthology. Uh, episode involved a woman shaving Archie. Like a woman he just met decides this is the way I'm going to talk to this man and shave him. I don't know. We're not going to shave Archie. We're going to watch Archie because this is Riverdale season seven, episode five, Tales in a Jugular Vein. Oh, yeah, Dan. And then I know you whisper Tales in a Jugular Vein. Oh, yes. Tales in a Jugular Vein. Perfect. So, we begin with a league of scary rich white men. One of the most horrifying uh, things you can have in any horror-themed episode. <laughs> yep, just the three. So, one of them is uh, Clifford Blossom, a man who, in the first season, murdered his son and then was then murdered by his wife. And the two people I've called the Fell Twins... Because one looks like a turtle, and one is the most intimidating man ever, and that is the principal of the school, Principal Featherhead, and the uh, child psychologist of the school, Dr. Werther's. Now, for you, Dan, this was just three dudes in a room talking about death. Well, I know not to trust any elderly Blossom I am presented with, so when I hear Mayor yep. Blossom, I'm immediately to, oh, no. Now it's been yep. it's been long enough that I didn't fully recognize him as uh, Cheryl and the late Cheryl's brother's father. Yeah, I mean, there's a different brother in this one now. So the I instantly dislike that man. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. No, you you're supposed to. Uh, this this scene is just them talking about what has so far been the premise of this season, which has been that Ethel Mug's parents have been murdered. They are. Very weird about this. They're talking about it like it's a it's a problem for them, but not feel like they've done it. They're just like, oh, they keep talking about that murder. Well, it's uh, the 50s, apparently. And then. <laughs> yeah, it is the 50s. It's, oh, actually, it's September 1955. So they don't want people just running around and having emotions. Yeah, yeah. It's 1955 uh, and emotions are for ethnic people. Mm hmm. The this does lead into the like, OK, well, the sheriff's looking around for the, the milkman and a murder weapon. 
And then Dr. Werther's like, well, why is he looking for a murder weapon? I have I have it right here. And I honestly gave this a 60-40 chance that he was literally just going to drop a bloody knife on the table. And that was going to be like the reveal that he killed Ethel Muggs' parents. I was braced for that. I was absolutely <laughs> braced for that to be what happened next. It seemed to be got the going vibe that then. way. <laughs> but it, it's not a knife, is it? No, he's not going to blame a knife. Because a knife didn't kill her parents. Comic books did. Those mean, terrible comic books. So, I mean, this is quite a one to bring you in on, old fan of comic books, because this is going to be all about, like, comics code stuff. The birth of the comics code, the seduction of the innocent, the... Yeah. This is just like in season three when they did the satanic panic with D&D, except for now we're actually in, like, the right era. So it kind of feels right when all these, like, Elites are like, well, the comic books are going to teach children that it's okay to murder each other. It's, oh, we got to stop these. See, what I love about that as a plot conceit for this, and it seems future episodes, is that... Yeah, seems like a thing they've been doing. Right-wing moral panics have always been dumb and bad and a distraction. Yeah, this is clearly a distraction. I think Werner believes it on some level. But they're doing it to, for some reason, get the parents to stop talking about the fact that a man and a woman were murdered. Yeah, it's all just to get the fact that there was a murder out of the papers and stop looking for the milkman, which, again, very Riverdale that there is a murderer called the milkman on board. No questions, no notes. Well, (laughs) admittedly, that's because Ethel thinks the milk, um, a milkman killed them. I mean, Uh, could be. (laughs) Maybe they did. Maybe they did, uh, but uh, they're gonna do. They're gonna somehow blame this on comics, which is a problem for Jughead because Jughead has recently got a job writing for comics and is given an insane job to write an entire issue of this horror comic overnight. The the they the way that they treat this comic, which I don't know, maybe in the fifties it was like gung ho cowboy nonsense like this. Well, what was it? But <laughs> but like they're co- both Jughead and Ethel were constantly given things where it's like you got to finish this by tomorrow night, and I'm like that's way too short of a time to expect anything done. But I guess Jughead's going to write four seven-page stories by tomorrow. I mean, no wonder they feel a little bit rushed. To he's dating Veronica now. <laughs> It's uh, 1955 yeah, that, of Jughead's dating Veronica. That's the part I got stuck on. Uh, admittedly, that just happened last episode. Like, they just got together last episode. And uh, me and Aaron are pretty on board with that. The, the chemistry that they had last episode was actually really, really good. Because Veronica's whole thing is she's like a Hollywood, like, she's from Hollywood. She moved here from Hollywood. Her parents are stars in the movies. So her and Jughead kind of bond over this, like, pop culture stuff. Uh, they they yep. bonded over um, Creature from the Black Lagoon and the Thin Man. So, like, their chemistry was actually quite there. Uh, but fortunately, Jughead is not going to be sent off as alone. He does get springboards. Now, Dan, what I like to do whenever there's any writing on screen is that I will pause and read it because I need to know what they wrote. Oh, yeah. These, that's a deflection I know well. <laughs> these springboards are kind of plots from former episodes. The first one goes by in a flash, and it says, Boxer, Vigilante, 
organ harvesting. Now, boxer Archie was a boxer. And a vigilante. Vigilant. He was a vigilante. The organ harvesting actually has to do with the next springboard, which is Man Woman Cult Rocket, which was the season after you left, there was a cult. And they were building a rocket. I heard there was more revealed. than one cult. I heard there, that there's a lot of cults. Riverdale managed to outnumber the chilling adventures of Sabrina for quantity of cults. Because end of the day, Sabrina, when I was watching it, only had two. Satanism and Catholicism. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, the thing, it, it depends on your definition of cults, but like, yeah... Cheryl started like an earth cult and then there's obviously this cult that was run by Chad Michael Murray. The the now these springboards are terrible and you can understand why the comics guy just like keeps them in a box cuz what do you he just wrote down words. Yeah. And not knowing much about season 3 it was like man woman cult rocket and I think the joke is going to be these are not springboards these are just random words on a notepad and said it was Jughead I'm, going these have all been done. Oh it's funny that he's like oh these have all been done to death. And it's not no it's not that they've been done to death. It's just that they're they're terrible. It it might just be me. I was really bugged by the fact that boxer vigilante organ harvesting were three different seasons. Like that's not one story arc. Those are mul- those those are those aren't even the same character. That is mul- you you all you had to do Riverdale was write down one of your plots and they didn't do it. Anyway, so Jughead talking to this guy invents I guess the teen horror genre. He's like, "Has there ever been horror done in a high school?" And they're like, "Well, well, well, what?" I'm like I don't know, maybe in 1955, no. I'm sure that the the Hayes Code was like, mm, nah, no teenagers. Well, Hayes Code was specifically filmed the Comics Authority. Comics Code Authority well, I was know, introduced I, in the 50s for this sort of nonsense. Yeah, because I, I was thinking about also movies. Uh, yeah. So Jughead's going to go home and he's going to write a whole bunch of stories. He does get visited by Veronica, who's going to like support him, and he introduces her to the person who is going to narrate all these stories, the key keeper, which, so we're doing Crypt Keeper. Just let's, let's just get it out of the way right now. Crypt Keeper we are via doing, a high school janitor. Yeah. We're doing tales from the crypt. And it's funny that Jughead is like, all these been done to death because at least two of these stories, I greatly recognize from other stories one which makes one of them the other one the first one we're going to see me suspicious about and then the last one its own thing but so it's funny he's like oh, these have all been done it's like well then you write the same thing again so you just write comic versions of a few tales from the crypt episodes though admittedly so here i'm gonna blow your mind here dan jughead at the beginning of this season, was aware that they had all time traveled from uh, 2027. That was going to be my next question because he has settled into being a writer in the 50s real well. He had it. He had his mind wiped by his girlfriend, who was an angel. Uh, she's off unwinding time so that a comet doesn't hit Riverdale. <laughs> 
Oh, well, now now I feel like the Muggins for not intuiting all of that. It's obvious. Obviously, when you're watching this, you're like, clearly that is what happened before. This is one of the oldest know. stories. Boy meets girl. Girl is angel. Girl sends a boy's entire peer group back to the 1950s. Yeah. Classic, classic. Do what else is a classic story? A story of a nerd on a basketball team. Because our first story is Keep Your Head in the Game, which features Dilton Doily, a character that we see occasionally. Uh, what you need to know, Dan. What, what do you know of Dilton Doily from the comics? Um, Dilton Doily was the, like the the science geek character of the Archie mm-hmm. gang. And mm-hmm. he was not he was not one of the most popular adaptations of the show. He was just sort of a survivalist boy scout in the early yeah, seasons. He was a cr- he was a cray survivalist who brought a knife to a gang rumble. And then the next time we saw him, he just had the knife in his leg. And he tells Reggie to like, tell them the serpents jump me. And me and Aaron really thought that would go somewhere. I thought he like stabbed himself and he was going to like blame it on the serpents. But then you just don't see him for the rest of the season. Yeah, it really feels like that was what they were queuing up is Dilton stabbed himself somewhere non-bleedy to frame the serpents. Because he brought the knife. Anyway, so Dilton is on the basketball team, and he is so bad at basketball. No one can go home until he makes a basket. And this coach, who I guess wants Dilton to get jumped in an alley, makes the other guys, the bigger, stronger guys, run laps until Dilton can make a basket. I know it's the 50s, and the the authority figures of the 50s could throw a dart at a map and find a way to get there and be wrong about something. But how is this a good way to teach someone to be in a team? I don't know. I don't know. It it ends up with Dilton getting threatened by Julian Blossom, which for you, Dan, is not Jason Blossom. Jason Blossom died and kept appearing, but now Julian Blossom is here. He was like a doll in the past. He was like Cheryl's, like another twin that I think Cheryl like ate in the womb or something, but that might That's have also been Cheryl. a lie. But but that also might have been a lie. Like also possible. Then he was a doll. I don't know. I I don't know what Julian. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about Julian. Julian is Reggie. Julian takes the place of Reggie. Mantle. Oh yeah, he's very. For some Reggie. reason, Reggie Reggie isn't here. For some reason, Reggie's not here. We don't know why. They I mean, really I never committed to Reggie either in the early seasons. Oh, it, Reggie was around. A, it's astounding how little they wanted to give Reggie. Every so often, you got some good Reggie stuff. And we love when we got Reggie stuff. Because he wasn't a big focus, he just sort of got, like, cool things every so often. But this season, they're just like, oh, and we don't know where Reggie is. Reggie's just gone. I know off camera, it's probably because when you don't give an actor things, they'll go and do other. Like, he's um he's a Shazam too. Like, he's yep. doing other stuff. So maybe you should have given him more work. Anyway, uh, Dilton gets shoved in the locker, and then the key keeper says he was born morbidly claustrophobic. Yep, that's definitely how phobias work. It's something you're born with, not something inflicted upon you by a trauma. <laughs> I love how they had to add that in. Um, but this uh, this claustrophobia gives him a psychotic break. Comes like, out a murder, and I'm like, oh boy, what? something bad's going to happen to that Blossom kid. Yeah, I mean, like, here's the thing. This is silly. This is schlocky, but it's on purpose. It is a, he's, 
these episodes where Jughead writes a story are just like, yeah, it's silly schlock because he's writing silly schlock. So he gets an axe and he like hides in the closet. And I the next time when uh, the coach comes in, doesn't even know is that Dilton is covered in blood, covered in blood, just soaked. And yeah, and he's taking shots and he's he's nailing baskets. He's dropping rocks in. I don't know any other basketball terms, uh, but he's doing good. But what's the problem, Dan? But it's not a ball. Oh, it's the Blossom it's- Boys' hair. Oh no. And then the other, like, <laughs> the bodies of the boys are just sitting, like, sitting on the bleachers. Sitting. And then their heads are on the basketball rack. Which means that Dilton had to take some time to just, like, pose everything. Up. Yeah, you know, good for, he he knew how to get a, how to get a style going. Plus, there's not a lot of wounds and, on the body. So he managed to go for the neck and hit it every time. Which Oh, yeah, no, he just, like, he spun through them, like, 300. Uh now, Veronica, she's actually, like, pretty cool about it. She likes the story. She's like, she's like, hell yeah, Dilton. You killed those people. She speaks for all of us. And sidebar, Camilla Mendez slaying it as 1950s femme fatale. Not a surprise oh, to me know, at all. Oh, uh, 1950. Like, so me and Aaron aren't huge fans of, I guess, normal timeline Veronica. she got really bad stories. Um, the... Writers seem to really, really, the writers seem to really, really like her. So she was kind of like a writer's room pet. Cheryl was very much the same way. Um, but 1950s Veronica is great. Like, it, it just, it, it works so well. I don't know what, what happened, what changed with who was writing her. Perfect. Uh, but yeah, so she's like, oh, hey, that's, that's that was really cool. And Jacob's like, yeah, they're like morality tales. Want to hear one about sex? And she's like, hang like, on a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on a second. Uh, so he, uh, he. Now we're gonna hear the story of "Love You to Pieces," which is a story I know. Like I, I don't know from where, but I feel like I've heard this horror story get told. Like it's, it's just like a, it's just like a, a folklore story. It's old timey creepy pasta or copy pasta, yeah. where it's just yeah. the story goes round and round. It always happened yeah. to a friend of a cousin of a neighbor of yours. Yeah, exactly. So, um. This one begins with Archie and his hot rod has broken down outside of a mansion. Now, unfortunately for him, he didn't go to a fun mansion where he gets to dance the time warp and then also have bad things happen. But it's fun for a while. Yeah, that mansion had some ups and downs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But this one, he doesn't meet Rocky. He meets Rose. Now, Dan... We have not seen Rose in a while. It's we have not seen her this season at all. In a while, yeah. Yeah, so Rose Rose is Cheryl's grandmother, that's all you remember. The last time I remember seeing Rose was when she was living with Cheryl after she tricked Cheryl into soul-swapping her soul with her ancestor so that her ancestor would save the Blossom name. It was unclear. It was unclear what the plan was. I'm not entirely certain what that means, no, but I still like it better <laughs> than Cheryl being tossed into a nunnery for conversion therapy. Yeah, yeah, that did happen. Uh, now now Ethel Muggs is in the nunnery. Yep. Yeah, she's yeah. with the sisters like, oh no, Ethel. Uh, if it means anything, all the sisters are dead now. No, wait, one's alive. She might be in jail, though. Sisters are dead. Don't worry about it. 
I've seen uh, The Conjuring Presents the Nun. That doesn't reassure me at all. <laughs> so um, Archie asked to stay the night. And at the, at the beginning, uh, Rose is real weird about it. She's like, oh, well, I guess you can stay. Because first she's like, well, I can't remember what she said. She says, like, hey, go make a call somewhere else or something like that. It's weird, but she's weird about him coming in. But you know what? I guess he's gonna. I guess he's gonna stay. And we get that old good classic. This is the thing that makes me feel like this is very familiar. Which is the well, you can stay. However, go to your room and lock the door and don't come out. Well, that could be a hundred horror stories. This is very specifically, yeah. and don't touch the farmer's daughter. Yes, this is Don't Touch the Farmer's Daughter. And what she goes, like, hey, hey, Ar- hey, Archie. Hey, a boy who hears at my house. I see that you are young and you're hot of an indeterminate age between 18 and 30. You, what you need to do is you need to go into that room and you need to lock the door. And you got to do this because my hot granddaughter is so horny. She will just have sex with you. Gaze upon this giant portrait of my hot granddaughter who's going to have <laughs> sex have if not por- prevented. Here's a portrait of my hot granddaughter. If you don't lock your door, she will have sex with you. And he's like, oh. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'll be sure to so does avoid he lock- that. <laughs> yeah. Already taking his pants off. Uh so does he lock the door? Nope. He just leaves that no. sucker ajar. He leaves it open. Uh, so Cheryl comes to visit him. So this one, I it's unclear if they're playing themselves. Because in a lot of the other ones, he just uses the name of like the actual person. Yeah. Which he has done in the past. He has written stories where he's like use the person's name into the point where it's got him in trouble one season because he wrote a story about them all killing their principal. Yeah, I imagine the principal took a little bit of offense uh, at that one. <laughs> yeah, so he's got to chill. Why, he might have joined uh, some shadowy figure of wealthy white men who were trying to ban popular media or something. Oh, yeah, speaking of shadowy figures, uh, Cheryl does arrive in his room and notably... She won't let him light a candle, and that's always a sign of great nothing good. Great sign, great sign. Not a red flag at all. It's just a flag. So obviously a trap. So obviously a trap. Don't bother looking uh, at light, seeing what color this flag is. Yeah. So he wakes up in the morning, and he like sees her like in like a wedding dress or something, staring out a window, and he just sort of like, well, that's normal. Huh. I guess I'll move on from there. Nothing to worry about there. <laughs> Yeah, but then when he's at dinner with Rose, she's like, well, you see, she recently went on a trip, uh, and she has a rare form of leprosy that's so contagious, but not to me, because I had it once. Oh, she's going to die. Yep, just had a bout of leprosy as a kid, like you do. Yep, uh, so then it reveals that what... (laughs) So what Rose, at first I was thought like, man, really buried the lead there, Rose. But actually, she did this on purpose to like make sure her daughter's like having fun before she dies. Lord she put gentlemen. nails. 
Yeah, she put nails on the road to lure in a young boy for for her to have have sex with, I guess. I have a few questions. Um see the first one that this happened to? And just the other ones, she's just sort of like, Yeah, you're not really her type. Too old. I won't help you. Too bald. Lady. Yeah. Gotta um, keep trying. Secondly, we kind of see Veronica oh not Veronica, um Cheryl's arm and face and it's very flaky i feel like at some point archie should have recognized when he was touching like wet wet paper it feels like he should have had a tactile hint something was amiss (laughs) at some point like her face is hidden behind a veil but it's just like star trek putty on there like, they got halfway into making her a Klingon, and we're just like, nah, it's close enough. There's certainly no narrative note about he did wonder why he was tied up to the bed all night, and she didn't do any um, kissing stuff. <laughs> it's, it'd be funny if she was like, no, don't light the candle. Also, don't touch me or kiss me. Just lie back. Don't move, actually. You know what? Just, just, just don't talk to me. Just lie there. Let me do what I got to do on this thing. And, and I should be like, okay. <laughs> all right. Of course he would. That's like, that, that's a kinky night for the 50s. Just, wow, I just got to lie here and not do any of the work. Why? Wow, that's crazy talk. But let's give it a try. So uh, Veronica is less into this story. She's trying her best to, like, care about comic books. She could leave, but, you know, she's trying to have time with her very, very new boyfriend. She'd like to have a romantic night if he could stop writing horror stories about slut shaming. Admit, admittedly, like it's not like, like like he got a very big break, so yeah, it's not like he's like yeah he's like blow, he's blowing off for a decent reason. This is a chance to launch his career in a major way, yeah. so he's kind and, and, of and he says and he says like, oh yeah, well, we should go see the movie tomorrow. Just tonight, I I got to write four stories, uh, which brings us to I guess our next story because this one. They don't show us the title, which was infuriating to me because they had each one have names. Yeah, there's. I think, I think this one's called Bland Betty. It could be. So the only text I picked up is we get a glimpse of the future comic page describing that her dating odds of dating were looking quite gray indeed. So I'm like, okay. Oh. Yeah, was this not the most aggressive form of TV ugly you've ever seen? They did nothing to make Lily Reinhardt look less attractive. Put her hair in a She's ponytail. Wear- you want me to her, believe. Her hair's, her hair's always in a ponytail. The like, audacity she do- to think I'm going to sit here and go, oh, that Lily Reinhardt can't get a man. <laughs> like... Once again, I understand it's Jughead writing like schlocky stuff, uh, but it, it was funny just being like, no one wants to date this incredibly attractive woman. And I suppose the defense for every attempt to like dig into the schlock and find fault is the writers of the episode just saying, I know, man, 55, it's crazy. <laughs> it does feel like these episodes where they do things like this, like these... um. We haven't, it's been a while since we got like, I think, I think once before we got an anthology that was clearly an in-universe fiction, 
This one is in-universe fiction, so it can, like, lean on the laurels of just, like, oh, well, it's supposed to be bad. Yeah, it's... But, but the, uh, not the a, other ones can't. It's not a bug, it's a feature kind of a thing. And I suppose yeah. when the the plot mechanic is Betty gets a new hairstyle that drives all the boys crazy, that kind of has to be the only thing you change. So this was the one that got me... Got me immediately because she went there and she's like, I, she went to like this beauty salon and was like, I don't know, another boy's paying attention to me. This woman's like, okay, I will give you a hairstyle. It's called the beehive. And I slapped my hands down and I said, freaky stories. This is from freaky stories. I, I don't think freaky stories did it at first. I'm not going to say like they invented the story. I think it's common folklore. Sure, sure. But, but this is specifically from an old Canadian program. Do you remember Freaky Stories, Dan? Dimly. Dimly. It had like the bugs. It had the bugs and it was just it was just like Tales Tales from the Crypt but like more kid-like. Yeah. They had this exact story. It's just this exact story. And I don't care how recycled it is. I'm going to jump ahead because <laughs> I got a bone to pick with this story and I guess every oh, folklore yeah. that passed it around. I mean, I will just speed, speed through it. Betty get, gets a beehive. She's told, never wash it. Never take it down. Lock it in hairspray. All the girls are jealous. All the guys want her. She goes on a date with Archie. Foams at the mouth and dies. Oh, yeah. Foams at the mouth and dies. But how did it happen? Ooh. Coroner takes a buzzsaw to the beehive. Yep. Which I remember strictly from that... Uh, from that story. I don't think in the Freaky Friday, the Freaky Stories story, she dies. Um, I think they still do take a buzzsaw to the hair because it won't come off. But what's in, what is it? What, what killed this young, healthy girl? Her hair is filled with spiders. And I was like, oh, her hair is filled with spiders. Oh, they must have poisoned her. These Black Widow spiders poisoned her. I have a question. Dan, did they poison her? No, they burrowed into her brain. <laughs> they chewed into her brain. That's... What? No, they're Black Widow spiders. They clearly bit her. Why did they chew into her brain? Yeah, that many, They don't need to get all the way into the brain. If a bl- that many Black Widow spiders bite you a little, you're going to die from that. <laughs> I, just, I, I like it. We were talking about the fact that like, it feels like sometimes they're just like leaning on the laurels of, oh... It's schlocky. But if I was reading this and that, I mean, I watched this <laughs> and it just like, like, even if I knew like, oh yeah, this is going to be grim, gross thing. And they're like, yeah. And her hair, it was full of black widow spiders. And they, they, they uh, burrowed into her brain. Like what spiders? I, I, well, I think they actually said chewed into her brain. I'm like, spiders aren't known for their that's not something spiders do. That's chewing ability done to spiders. Spiders are very known for biting and melting things. Like the burrowing spiders burrow through dirt. Not not a human other skull. Things. But my beef is it's a haunted evil beehive. And it's not yeah. filled with bees. Not filled with bees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. How do you <laughs> miss that layup? I was trying to remember the original story if it was bees, but no, it was all it was always spiders. I think it's because like that's why she. How would the bees get in there? She, well, the hairdresser 
played by what I have to now assume is a very nice lady, mm. is is obviously it was supposed to be. She installs this like living center for evil bees because she's in a bee cult. When when she was so adamant about like you have to use this hairspray and we got a close up on the hairspray, I thought the hairspray would be a much bigger part of it. Like I get the idea that the hairspray is keeping it there, but like I thought it's like oh the hairspray attract like was going to attract a bunch of bees or something like that. Feed the bees. Something no, it's with just bees. that. It's just as she had hair, and because she never washed it and never took it down, spiders lived in it. Uh, and I guess that's a problem. It's just a very mundane punishment for vanity instead of a spookily ironic one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I do like this story. I want to take a moment to point out that this story is probably the most aggressive 50 story I've ever seen. Like, number one. Beehive. Yeah, I guess most aggressive 50, 50s that this show has been, and also we get some real heavy fifty slang getting dropped in there. I think like three times in the same sentence, Archie uses the word ginchiest. He does throw around the word ginchy a lot, which is not something that is easy to do as a straight face in this modern day and age. No, he says she's the ginchiest girl. With the ginchiest hair. <laughs> Now, because I know 1950 slang, because I had to look it up for something I was writing once, I understand that it's like a 1930s thing that means like cool or attractive. But I gotta admit, if you walked out in the street in 2023 and you're like, "Hey, you're pretty ginchy," someone would be, someone would would hit you. It does not sound like a nice thing to be, does it? It really doesn't. <laughs> no, it sounds. Too used Absolutely. to ginch being a term for underpants to find it a flattering description. <laughs> Man, you're like a lot of underpants. So Veronica, once again, less thrilled about this one. Uh, she's like, hey, there's nothing wrong with like looking good. You know, men also do that. And and Jacob's like, yeah, okay. Sure, yeah, men also suck a little, I guess. Absolutely. Um, now she... Now, but... but now this reveals what she actually wants. She wants to be in a story. She wants to be romantic about female friendships. And I'm like, you know he's writing horror books. You want to be in the story? Okay. I don't think this is going to go the way you want it to, 50s <laughs> Veronica. Like, he, you know, you've, you've, you've seen the last three stories. You know the concept. But she's like, no, I want to do it. So she, it wants to be romantic, wants to be a female friendship. So he's like, okay, here's what we'll do. I'll do a twist on a love triangle. And this twist on a love triangle is they're going to do the Archie comics. Yeah, Which they go we, into some classic Archie triangle nonsense. Yeah, Archie is just Archie from the comics in this one. Uh, he's a bit meaner because I feel like in the comics he's just he's just sort of like a weird dope who doesn't quite understand what's going on. Well, he's a lot more. By the time we understood that pursuing Betty and Veronica at the same time wasn't actually charming, this had been decades, and this is yeah, kind of entrenched yeah. into the series marrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the series 
does an interesting job with that. Um, but Archie is just Archie from the comics. He is dating both Betty and Veronica and drinking coffee so he doesn't die because he's just a dope. Uh, and notably, because it has to be the comics, Betty and Veronica are actually like aware of each other. Yep. They just like in the comics, they're both aware that Archie that like both of them want to date Archie. Uh, they seem I've always told them the comics, they're much more cognizant of the fact that Archie is a sack of nerves with no brain that they just sort of have to like corral into their side of the house. Yep. In, in this one, it's a lot more of Archie. Like he, he's like talking to a bunch of guys. He's like, "Hey, you know how you can date two girls at once? You just gotta lie to them." And I'm like, "Oh, I see what's gonna happen here." All you have to do is tell them comfortable lies so that they stay happy. And I was you like, "That's that genius," except Dylan. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Dylan's problem is the fact that he says, you got to tell him three simple words. You're my favorite. And Dilton's like, um, actually, it's four words. And I'm like, oh, Dilton, you're going to murder these guys as well, aren't you? I <laughs> mean, gonna, maybe that's shut. not the worst idea in the world. But yeah, he does seem to be headed. Somebody's getting murdered by somebody. Yeah. So I do, I do sort of miss the, uh, just once I'd love to see the Archie, the actual Archie comics thing where Archie is just like a weird blank slate with with like, very little personality that these two women are weirdly obsessed over and just like trying to hurt him like a uh like sheep just being like no, come over here come over here archie come over here archie Wave a pretty thing at him like, he'll follow you yeah uh but instead we got veronica and betty just sort of like arguing arguing over him and they begin to realize wait a minute maybe he is a tool yeah i'm <laughs> They don't have a lot of time. This has four stories rather than three, though the fourth one was technically just like a four credits thing. Yeah. But really, they're just sort of like, I like Archie. I like Archie. And then Cheryl's like, you're both foolish. And they're like, wow, we are foolish. Like, Okay, that was a fast pivot, but I guess this is a seven-page comic. Yeah, and even as perhaps the longest one of these, they still only have ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't have time for, like, a full character arc as you realize things about yourself. So instead, uh, they're, they, like, tell Archie to choose. Like, hey, you got who are you going to go with for Valentine's Day? And because this Archie is terrible, he's going to tell them that I'm actually just going to spend it with my mom. Because it's the first Valentine's Day since my dad died. In no universe, like, I understand that Luke Perry... Luke Perry passed away, but now the only thing they have for Archie is that his dad de- his dad is dead. And even in this like fictional universe that Jughead is writing, his dad still is dead. It's just got to loom over everything. <laughs> even in death, Luke Perry's the most interesting part of this show. The, the problem is that I feel like this is something that has happened with some other teen dramas, but feels so so apparent in Riverdale is how much the creators and writers of the show cannot disconnect themselves from the real world. When when Cole Sprouse and uh, Lily Reinhart were dating, Jughead and Betty were dating. Like, 
they're they're too connected to this idea. Was like, well, the real world has to obviously reflect there. That's why um, Skeet Ulrich turned fifty. And if you've ever talked to Aaron about the timeline of this show, that was one of the first things that broke her was the reveal that FP Jones was fifty, and his son was like seventeen. And because they all went to high school together, it meant every single adult was 50. Which meant, like, when they, when they like, got together and, like, had kids wasn't really, wasn't really timing out with what we <laughs> expected it to be. No, that's, like, now they're all 33. Well, especially since, um, we don't see them in this episode, but Alice and Hal Cooper, Betty's parents, are supposed to be, like, high school sweethearts. Who didn't have a kid until they're 33. And I'm not going to like judge someone on waiting that long to have kids. But it's insane to think that like, yeah, these are small town people. High school sweethearts. They got together. And then they waited 15 years. Yeah, really just dragging your heels until you get entrenched into your career in a good place financially to begin talking about kids. Doesn't fit with the Hal and Alice Cooper narrative. Yeah, and there's like, all, like there was a lot of other things. Like, essentially, almost all of these people married the person they were dating in high school, but then waited 15 years to all have kids at the same time. So, yeah, just they 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 tend to like link really heavily onto things that are happening in the real world. I do not remember why I got in on this, but because of the whole okay, oh my dad's dead oh so his dad spend, yeah i gotta spend valentine's day with my mom and definitely not cheryl blossom what are you guys what are you oh. guys doing by the way oh yeah well we i know the comics i've read the comics i know cheryl comes in as their third choice at a certain point <laughs> so Look, he's got a blonde and he's is. got a brunette and sometimes you need redhead uh you need redhead exposure yep 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 uh now this clearly upsets Betty and Veronica. So they come up with a plan. And the plan is to begin by offering this horny boy a threesome. He accepts and does shop. not suspect it's a trap in the least. <laughs> in, in shop class. Yeah. It's utterly ignores very, the uh, very suspicious <laughs> choice of location. Archie's, Archie's arc in this episode from like, once again, Jughead is writing Archie in the first episode. He puts up some like a token, like, Hey guys, don't be mean to Dilton. Cause you know, you can't have people act out of character, even when they're being written by someone else. Uh, and then he got like, he was too horny to not catch leprosy. And then now he's too horny to, <laughs> to clearly see how this is a trap. Uh, I'm not really in tune with any backstage drama that might be happening on this show, but it sure feels like they came up with a lot of ways to murder KJ Appa. Uh, yeah, I mean, when they did the uh, River Vale uh, small... God, how to explain River Vale? River Vale was a five-episode... Um, arc or five episode like mini arc where they're in, like a different world, but actually that different world was just a different universe. And then at another point that different universe collided back with the Riverdale universe, and that's kind of how magic happened. Like you do. Uh, 
Yeah. So uh, in River Vale, he dies in the first episode just because the town decides to sacrifice him because they need to sacrifice a pure heart. So, yeah, no, I mean, they're not going to do anything interesting with Archie. So I guess just kill him a whole bunch because, I mean, that's what happens here. He heads into the room and it's all romantic and there's candles and there's roses. And there's a thermos full of coffee for you. Drink deeply. Extra, extra strong coffee. Don't ask how we got your thermos. <laughs> uh, it is it is extra strong. It's extra strong with drugs. Those sleeping pills of Betty's mother that were mentioned during the bathroom fight. Yeah, hey, you seeded that. Very good. Set up. Payoff. Uh, well done. When he uh, wakes up, chained to this table with like his arms above his head, I was just like, "Are they gonna pit in the pendulum him?" <laughs> for for those who don't know Edgar Allan Poe, are they gonna saw for him? I don't remember which saw has the pit in the pendulum I'm in it. I'm gonna go even old schooler and say they were absolutely gonna Solomon this uh, horny boy <laughs> to solve their dilemma. <laughs> But I would just imagine when they went over and, like, grabbed a switch that, like, a pet, just like a, a guillotine blade, which is going to start chopping and dropping down each time. It's not quite that dramatic. No, it's close. They just sort of gradually wheel over a giant bandsaw. What? What is that? It's a circular saw hanging from the ceiling. It's not something you normally find in a shop class. Normally, it's table saws. The saws are stationary yeah. as they can get, <laughs> this, so that this is—it's just an open. It's an open circular saw hanging from the ceiling, and it looks. I mean, I guess maybe they constructed it, <laughs> but if they're going to construct it, they should have gone with a pit of the pendulum. Yeah, I'm I mean, if gonna you're going to build something, build something with a little more style. Yeah. So instead, they um. Uh, they chop him in half, and then I think Betty lost a coin flip. Or maybe won a coin flip, I guess, depending on what you're into. Really depends, because she gets the bottom yeah. half. She gets the bottom half, and Veronica gets the top half. So, yeah, I guess it kind of depends on your uh, your thing. Uh, this immediately gets cut out, and or moves back, and Veronica has opinions on this. She has some notes for Jughead. Yes. Um, and this is a, a, a perfect example. You're, you're seeing a perfect encapsulation of Riverdale because, like, she brings up that, like, the sexual politi- politics of this are troubling. You're, like, depicting teen girls like crazed killers. Uh, he, he's, he's like, well, I mean, no one's really good in the stories. And she goes back with, like, well, oh, so you admit you're demonizing women, which just really felt like that Regina George uh, meme. Yep. Um and, like, so Riverdale has this amazing ability to, like, actually address very important points. Like, the, um, exp- like, the, this, this, the, 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 the role of women in media, um, and the way that they're, like, they're, like, treated in, like, in horror, for example, especially, like, old horror, is definitely something that's, like, worth, uh, looking at and worth engaging with and worth talking about. They... It comes up very fast, and I feel like what they set up doesn't quite warrant what's going on here. Like, it feels off. Like, it feels like they didn't quite get the spear point that they wanted. It might be different for you, Dan, because you're not aware of everything that has happened before in this series. No, I'm surprised to not see Jughead with Betty, because I thought they were too afraid of Bughead shippers to drop that. 
<laughs> no, I guess they're going. They're taking some time with Vughead. Uh, I, I wish we had Aaron here because this does touch on like women's uh, points. Um, it's odd to me that Veronica that they decided to have Veronica be the spear point for um, this feminist ideal. Not because they haven't done that; they've always sort of had like that's their idea of doing things with Veronica. Yep. But like this, Veronica's character is like a Hollywood party girl who who has gotten dropped off in Riverdale because she was hanging out with with a uh, not James Cameron what. James Dean. That's the one. Uh, before, yeah, before he before he died, and like nothing. Ab- it didn't feel like the things about her led to this moment, and it didn't feel like the things that that Jughead wrote were severe enough that they should have had her have this reflection. I guess is what I'm thinking. Yeah, it felt like a very zero to sixty conflict between the two of them. Yeah, especially when they just got together last episode, and this the the first the first story he told was about Dilton Doily getting revenge on a bunch of people, and she loved it. So she should. She absolutely. You think she'd understand the tone from here forward? Well, the the problem is like her like. Maybe her problem is really big on this last one. Like, yeah, this last this last one is like about two women getting like revenge on uh the the guy who uh you know wronged them which i just want to point out at the at this episode what the episode the movie that she wanted jughead to go watch with her was a movie called um uh diabolique diabolique however you it's it's devil in french diabolique um yes and uh, i wanted to look that up to see if like oh is this like a um is it a reference or something it is a movie about two women working together to murder one of their husbands. Like one is the mistress and one is the the wife and they work together to murder the husband. I'm sure there's more to it than that, but it's just funny that like that's the premise of the last story. Yeah. So it really fits in. Yeah. Maybe she's had it, enough just... diabolique for the day. And I think that one even comes up in the story that they're telling is that Archie suggests that they could go see it. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember. Don't remember, don't remember about that. It's just like it's annoying to me whenever Riverdale addresses a very serious topic, but doesn't do any legwork to make it really fit, and it just sort of comes off as like, well, you know, this is a serious thing that serious people talk about. Yeah, it's just sort but of. But you also wanted to do a bunch of four schlocky horror stories. We're going to do the four schlocky horror stories. We're going to have fun with them. And then Veronica's going to say something a little weirdly on the nose about authentic societal problems. Yeah. And I wonder if, like, I, I don't know what would have. I wonder if maybe if that first story, if they had all been very, like, uh, like cruel towards women, I would I would argue that. The last one, I know some women who would see that as a very, like, empowering revenge story. Like, it's over-the-top revenge. But, like, there's nothing much different between that one and the first one, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird to talk about. <laughs> uh, but uh, the she, you know, it's 
it's she doesn't get the response i mean jughead doesn't really take her concerns seriously at all like he's like well that's that's not what i meant uh i being so emotional about this i'm just writing down things for the funny books yeah and i guess because they're teenagers they just break up like veronica's just like well i guess i'm gonna go home now i just Oh no, everything's fine. I just want, and then they're just like, oh, we're just not gonna talk ever again. They just split up, just like that, and, and it's it, done. And like, so you, so obviously you're coming with this right now. We just got them together last episode, and we were so into how much they vibed. And this breakup does not feel <laughs> satisfying. It feels like why did you put the? Did you did you put them together? So that she would listen while he told these stories. Was that the only reason to get her in the room with him to writing the stories? Yeah. Because, like, the the implication in that scene is also almost that Veron- they're not going to even talk to each other anymore. She's now back with the cool kids. He's the weirdo who writes horror stories. Uh, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen next. So it could be different and maybe they're setting up more of like Veronica's actually like gonna kind of go back onto his side and help him but boy it was it was a weird feeling yeah it would feel weird to me if she ended up on the other side of the whole comic book drama yeah because it is drama because Dr. Werther our good creepy friend who says even normal things in the worst way has dropped an editorial about comics which is a direct pastiche of Seduction of the Innocent. Yeah. He uses his science background. He says the comics. There, you can trust me, a scientist, a child psychologist, <laughs> who is just the worst guy ever, that there's a direct line between reading comics and uh, killing people. I'll, I'll say that it is funny. Seeing that, like, it's something I know that I know that happened, but it's funny that you just see this r- replicating over and over again. Yes. Oh, uh, comics are making people violent. Oh, movies are making people violent. Oh, video games are making people violent. Rock and roll music, bicycles. It's all making people violent. Yeah, like these people who are willing to blame everything, but like the actual cause of issues. Yeah, well, they don't want to deal with mental health, and they don't want to ban guns. So we need something else we can focus on, and that's going to be heavy metal or Dungeons and Dragons or Doom. But what we can do is is uh, is try to make sure that no movie ever has sex again. That's what we can do. Yeah, that one's dumb too. Yeah. So Doctor Werther wants to hold. Uh, he wants to hold these people making these comics accountable. He's to punish them to the fullest extent of the law. Which leads into Jughead getting a very good thing and a very bad thing at the same time. He's going to have his name attached as the writer. That's great. Everything's coming up. Jughead, Jugular Jones. Such a good job, Jughead. You did such a good job. I can't pay you more, but we'll put your name where everyone can see it. Where everyone will know. Yeah, what's what do you say? Your name, your your name in print will make people sit up and take notice. Yep. Dun dun dun. Face that just as ominously as you can, editor man. Hey, it's Aaron hopping in to give my thoughts on the most recent episode of Riverdale. And let me tell y'all, I think it's probably good that we have a woman commenting on this episode because apparently gender politics 
are a thing in this episode. Um, I, I mean, this is classic Veronica feminism, right? And she could go either way. Like sometimes Veronica absolutely would be like, yeah, go girl, you murder those people. But this episode, she's not. Um, maybe because I kind of think she forgot what horror comic books are and like what their purpose will be. Dear Veronica, there are no love stories. Um, other highlights, Riverdale continues to love Archie. Nana Rose is still a liar. Um, and oh man, y'all, to have the confidence and the power of a white man in the 1950s to say, hey, I've proven time and again that this fact is real without providing any evidence whatsoever. Ugh. Um, I mean, this was the kind of classic Riverdale episode. It sort of moved things ahead. It broke up Jughead and Veronica. It um, gave me, like, I loved, I loved the last one. Honestly, I love the twist on the classic Archie, Veronica, and Betty Love Triangle with a sprinkle of Cheryl in there. And as someone who used to watch a lot of Are You Afraid of the Dark as a kid, like th- this episode scratched my itch. So um, it was dumb. It was weird, but I liked it. And now I can't wait to hear what y'all think. And I cannot wait to listen to the episode to hear Kevin and Dan's thoughts. Bye. Hey, Dan. Uh, usually I ask Aaron what her CW moment is. Uh, I guess... I'll have to do what she does. So what is my CW moment? My CW, my moment where logic uh, finds out that its lover is uh, cheating on it. So it saws him in half to share him with its friend drama. I feel like that was a pretty good one. Uh, so my CW moment, I guess I'll go first. Uh, so you maybe have time to think about it because I kind of jumped this on you at the beginning of the episode. Sure. <laughs> um, I There are a lot in this. There's a lot of moments. It's hard to pick one just because a lot of it is like schlocky on purpose. So do I do, I do that? Do I pick something that's like schlocky on purpose? I'm going to give it to saying that so that when Dilda Dolly was locked in the, locked in the closet overnight – he couldn't just be locked in and then had like a mental break because he was been bullied for so long. No, no, no. For some reason they had to add in that he was born morbidly claustrophobic. Wait. Yeah. There's not a series of words that go together. It was unnecessary. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, it doesn't like, it's not like he had like, they're like, Oh, well he was morbidly claustrophobic. Born more, he, he didn't have to be born more. Really, every word in that sentence was unnecessarily uh, was unnecessary. Like, it, just because he was claustrophobic didn't mean he had to have a psychotic break. He he didn't have to be born it. It didn't have to be morbid. It didn't have to be claustrophobic. There was no word in that sentence. He could have just gone crazy and decided to act some people up because he was stuffed in a locker for t- twelve hours. Yeah, it's a it's a schlocky. Bad. It, it'd be like if you're watching Carrie and then the blood, the pig's blood dumps on her and they said, well, unfortunately, Carrie was born morbidly hemophobic. <laughs> like, well, no, we understand of a bully. Like, We get it. Bullying leading to a final straw. It's obvious. We get there. 
Yeah. Yeah. The amount that these stories are just like takes on things that we've already seen so many times before is and the fact that they hit to like, oh, we can't take that shorthand though. Ridiculous. Uh, what would you? Did you find a CW moment? Mine would have to be the moment where Veronica honestly thinks that if she asks nicely, he's going to pause his horror comic anthology to write just a nice, sweet story <laughs> of female friendship. And it's yeah, not Herbie. going to be a horrible blood-soaked revenge tale at all. Like, she, read the room, she heard, Veronica. She heard a story where a boy cut the heads off a basketball team where an old woman tricked a boy into getting leprosy where a a woman who wanted to be loved had spiders crawl into her brain and she was like can you write me the notebook his female friendship can you write me sisterhood of the traveling pants sisterhood of the traveling pants i would steal magnolias i guess that's about friendship it's not romantic though uh yeah (laughs) yeah like it's I don't know she, how you thought this one ended, Veronica, but I think it's kind you. of in line with with Veronica's whole thing. Veronica does have a habit of not engaging with the world around her and just sort of planting herself as the main character. So this it does true. feel like she's like, like, hey, do this. And he's like, well, that's not really what I'm writing. Now, he doesn't say that, obviously. He just goes, oh, I have an idea. But once again, she's heard three stories along that line. He, she know, she can, has pattern recognition. He thinks he can just do both things and everything will be fine and nothing bad will happen. <laughs> but bad things always happen when you read comics. Uh, so, hey, that was, that was this episode of uh, Riverdale. Boy, it was... Whew. It kind of pushed things forwards. I'm... I'm so upset that this episode, I kind of suspected that Veronica and Jughead weren't going to be like endgame. I thought it was going to be more than they kiss at the end of the last episode and then talk in this episode. And then she's just like, oh, let's never talk again, I guess. Kind of an abrupt ending. (laughs) Yeah. So because they Riverdale has given me three episodes of Goodwill. So I'm going to say, you know what? Maybe we'll see something more of it. Maybe that ju- that Jughead monologue was just nonsense. He says a lot of nonsense in his Jughead monologues. <laughs> Stuff that doesn't, and it's actually just like straight up lies sometimes. That does happen with Jughead monologues from what I recall, yes. And hey, well, hey, it's the CW. Sometimes a promising story plot comes up and then just the next week, Clark gets a red kryptonite necklace and there it all goes. Burned to the ground. Like that. Like that mutilated boy. That's a best reference for old listeners. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you like this episode, what you should do, Aaron usually does his housekeeping. I don't know what I'm doing at all. Uh, you should head on to your, you know, your podcatcher app, wherever you listen to us. I don't know. Spotify, I think it's on there. Uh, you should give us a review. You should give us a rating. You should tell all your friends about us and us being here. We might be the only Riverdale podcast that's left. We might have survived the pack because I think everybody has slowly just been like, I can't do this show anymore. Uh, but thank you for being here. Uh, Dan, do, tell them about you. T- tell them about what you're doing. Uh, you can find my occasional musings at talesfrompartsunknown.com if you want to know about comic book TV shows, Oscar nominees, or the complete ranking of the Scream movies. Plus, if I talk a lot about movie remakes with my co-host Keith at Recovered Pod, which you can find us at uh, Recovered Pod on Twitter and the Insta. 
And uh, Aaron, who's normally here, I'm frog marching through the every best picture in Oscar history with our co-host Claire over at Academy versus Audience. We are deep in the 50s and choices yeah, are I was gonna being say. made. Yeah, I was gonna say you're you're uh, you're experiencing the fifties right now through film. We're experiencing it through, I guess, social issues. Yeah, Aaron. Whatever has, Riverdale's doing. Aaron is not at all fled the country to try to put some time between her and <laughs> Ben Hur. <laughs> oh, there's never enough space between someone and Ben Hur. All right. Well, my books are available at KevinWareBooks.com, and we will see you all next week. Aren't Jughead and Veronica just done? What does Mayor Blossom have to do with Ethel Muggs' parents? Can that very nice drag queen who did Betty's hair continue to be in the storyline that demonizes right-wing moral panic crusades? Because that's fun and cool. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good question. We'll answer us all this and more on the next episode of Mystery Outsiders and Abs. A teen drama fan cast? <laughs>